0: Good morning. In our house we are huge fans of Bear Grylls and our children love all of the different Bear Grylls books that he has written. I've brought two of them here to show you. This is from a series that he does for younger children, probably about the age of four to seven, The Bear Grylls Adventures and each one is called a different challenge. So we've got the desert challenge here. We've also got the sea challenge and each one basically a child goes on an adventure with Bear Grylls and the child in that we're talking about has got a different challenge that need they need to overcome. Maybe it is a fear. Maybe it's a doubt they have. Maybe it's a negative thought that they have about themselves or a bad attitude and Bear Grylls takes them on an adventure. And whilst they're on that adventure, Bear Grylls helps them to understand that they actually have the potential, the power within themselves to be able to overcome that particular difficulty. Now, you might be wondering... Why on earth I'm talking about Bear grills when we're meant to be studying the book of Jonah? Well, over the last few weeks, as I've been looking at the book of Jonah through the sermon series and also putting together bits and pieces for the kids slot, I've been really, really challenged by this book in so many different ways. And this week I've been preparing for this sermon on the final chapter, chapter four. And you know what? This chapter has been the one that has challenged me the most. I find the book of Jonah really, really raw and honest. We might look at the person of who Jonah is, the characteristics he has, and we might think that in many ways he is somebody who has really bad attitude. He has got um, quite a negative understanding of the way that God works sometimes. And we might look down on him a bit, but do you know what? It's really, really honest because he actually reflects the human heart, how so many of us work and live and have our attitudes. And actually, this morning, I want to invite you to go on the same journey that I've been on this week of being able to honestly look inside my own heart and take myself on my own personal challenge. Just like those Bear Grylls books, actually, Father God is going to walk us through this chapter this morning and hopefully for the rest of the week if you go away and study it too. He's going to walk with us just like Bear Grylls does with the children in this book and God will show us that we have the potential within us to overcome our bad attitudes just like Jonah did by the end of the book hopefully. We're going to overcome our bad attitudes and we too are going to be able to move forward becoming more and more like Christ. So instead of the desert challenge or the sea challenge this morning we have got our own heart challenge. Now, as we know, our entire lives are a journey to become more and more like Jesus. And that is why we study chapters like this in the Bible. I've been amazed that just a few pages in my Bible can challenge me so much. Now, just to recap, Jonathan talked last week about chapter three. Jonah has taken God's message to Nineveh and the people there have listened and they have changed their ways. God saves the city. Hooray! Or is it hooray? Jonah certainly doesn't think so. If we look at verses two and three, Jonah has what can only really be described as a temper tantrum. And believe me, I have seen and had a fair few of those in my time. Jonah uses some key temper tantrum phrases. He says, I said, that's Jonah's version of I told you. He says, I fled. That's Jonah's version of I won't. And he shouts, I knew He even ends his tantrum with true drama when he declares that he would rather be dead if what he'd predicted didn't come true. This is very dramatic. It really is an Oscar-winning performance for Jonah and don't worry there are more tantrums to follow later in the passage. This outburst from Jonah gives us the opportunity to see clearly the state of his heart and the deep-rooted attitudes that he has. At the the root of it all, Jonah has a deep-seated prejudice towards the Gentile nations. As a Jew, Jonah has forgotten the core message, the core purpose that was given to his nation. That message that was given in Genesis to Abraham to pass down through the generations, to multiply, spread across the earth and be a blessing to the rest of the world by sharing God's message with other nations. Jonah instead holds on to the misguided notion that God is only a God for his own people. He doesn't really believe that God should freely give his love, his mercy and his salvation to people who do not look like him, act like him or sound like him. But that is what God does do to the Ninevites as they repent and come to him in faith. And that's what God continues to do to all those who come to him in repentance and faith. This problem of innate prejudice isn't something just confined to the heart of Jonah or even to the times of the Old Testament. It's sadly something that unites humankind across the globe and throughout history. A fear, suspicion and sometimes sadly a hatred of those people who don't look like us, don't sound like us, don't act or behave or have traditions like us. I feel like it would be really insensitive and wrong of me to be talking about prejudice this morning and not give a bit of an acknowledgement to all the things that are happening globally at the minute in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. There are many people who don't fully understand the hurt and anger that black communities across the world are feeling right now. And how can they, how can I, when my history and my ancestry has taken such a different path to theirs? Many people are coming forward and are questioning why there is so much focus on black lives mattering, when we should be calling for all lives to matter. And I think there we have to acknowledge that there is a difference between equality and equity and this is something that Jonah struggled with as well. Both equality and equity promote fairness, but equality achieves this through treating everyone the same, regardless of need. Equity achieves this through treating people differently, dependent on their need. Why is this important for us to remember as Christians? As Christians, we talk a lot about equality, and we talk about God loving everyone and knowing everyone, and that is absolutely right. But globally, and even in the communities that we live in, there has to be a a recognition that we're not just people of God. We're also people of the culture we're from, people of of the place that we're from, and the economic situation that we're from. And those things shape us. They shape us for the better and for the worse. This gives us an opportunity to reach out into the communities we're part of but it also comes with the risk that it can alienate us from other communities. Let's remember that the call of Christ is not to be the same as everybody else. It's to understand and accept people for who they are and who God made them to be in their context. It is to equally love people as God does And also to achieve equity by acknowledging there is often a difference in the need we must give. I think people throughout history have struggled with this, most often because they have been frightened by difference. And we look at Jonah and we can see Jonah is frightened too. He's full of fear. He's frightened by the Ninevites and their differences. He ran in the opposite direction when God first asked him to go. He wasn't just frightened of their difference. He was also fearful of the fact that in God's eyes, their differences did not exclude them from his grace, mercy and love. In God's eyes, there was little enough difference between them and Jonah to equally receive his love and salvation. But God's methods of achieving this were different because of their culture and backstory. The Gentiles needed a little more time from God and needed a little more clearer instructions. Jonah didn't understand this. Jonah didn't understand the Ninevites, he didn't understand God. I want you to ask yourself now, what would happen in our church if God moved in such a mighty way that all our prayers were fully answered? Last year, Sam and I were lucky enough to take our children to Spring Harvest in France, the LPO site there. We had a wonderful holiday. For those of you who haven't heard about it, it's an opportunity for Christians to meet together and have a holiday experience. And at the same time, they have key speakers, just just like at the Spring Harvest festivals. They have prayer meetings, they have Bible studies, they have kids groups. It is an amazing place and we had just the best holiday. And one of the key speakers there was a lady called Nikki from the Skylark Network. And she said something that week that has really stuck in my mind. She was talking about what happens when that day arrives when all your prayers have been answered and the last, the least and the lost do flock into your church. She said, I look forward to the day when I cannot leave my handbag safely on my chair in church whilst I go for a coffee. And that statement has stuck with me since then because it is an incredibly honest and uncomfortable statement. How many of us truly have prayed for the day when we cannot leave our handbags safely on the front row at church while we go for a coffee because we know that we have invited all sorts of people that we don't know into our church. The Bible is very clear when it asks us to go out and make disciples of all nations. Jesus asks us, In fact, he commands us to take the good news to absolutely everybody. So, why is it that so often our churches are just full of people like us? I think the answer is because it's comfortable to tell people like ourselves about God. And it's comfortable to invite them into our churches knowing that we don't have to make too many changes. In many ways, our church, Lynn Baptist Church, really does extend the message of Jesus to a wide and varied portion of our community, and I'm incredibly proud to be part of this church. We have an amazing toddler group that reaches all sorts of mums and dads and carers in the community. We have Holiday at Home, bringing in a lot of elderly folk who otherwise wouldn't be coming into our church. We have people joining us on a Sunday morning from various care homes. We have an amazing outreach into prison ministry. We have all the user groups that use our building, all amazing stuff, and we should be incredibly proud of that. However, I do think that all of us, regardless of the church we go to, we're still inhibited by our private prejudices and our fear, and that needs to change. If we move further down the passage in Jonah 4, we see a whole section about Jonah and the plant. And here we have another tantrum from Jonah. This is in verses 6 to 9. Now just imagine, I'm sure you all have seen this at some point, imagine a toddler or a very young child with their absolute favourite toy. Imagine they're playing with it and then it's on the floor and someone trips over it and really hurts themselves. Now does the toddler go and check on their toy or does the toddler go and check on the person who's fallen over? Usually, most usually, they go and check on their favourite toy don't they? And here we see the same with Jonah and the plant. God uses this plant to help Jonah see where his attitude is wrong. Jonah values the plant and what it can give him more than the lives and the souls of a whole nation of lost people. And that's another challenge for ourselves this morning. What do we value over the call of Christ? Have you ever lost or broken something that's really sentimental to you? Have a think about that now. How did it make you feel when you lost or broke that thing? Did you feel angry? Did you feel sad? Did you cry or sulk or mope around? How many times, though, have you felt angry or sad or wept because a friend or a loved one or a neighbour or a community or a nation doesn't know God's love and salvation? We might laugh and shake our heads over Jonah's temper tantrum with the plant and the worm that ate the plant, but really we're often no different. It's so easy to be more sensitive to our own needs and interests than to the spiritual needs of those around us. Now how does this chapter and indeed the whole book of Jonah end? Well it ends with a question, an unanswered question and I really like the way this book ends. It used to frustrate me a lot years ago when I first read it but I've really come to appreciate it now. God asks Jonah to reflect on his anger and his indignation at the plant being destroyed and asks him to compare that with the sadness and the anger that God felt at Nineveh, a city with over 120,000 lost souls in it being destroyed. And for once, after all his tantrums and angry responses, Jonah doesn't reply. I like to think that Jonah finally got it. I like to think that he, and by proxy us, finally understand the heart and the purpose of God. Jonah is without a doubt a fiery and passionate person. Two words that have often been used to describe me. I get very passionate about things that I love, whether it's excellent food or Harry Potter or jumping in puddles. I'm very fiery. I have a very, very bad temper. That would be one of my worst qualities and I can go from zero to a hundred in a matter of seconds. And so often we hear that God loves fiery and passionate people. He wants to use them. But we need to make sure that we are fiery and passionate about the right things. God doesn't want people who are passionate for the wrong reason. There's no point being energetic and passionate in your own surly beliefs, your own prejudice. He wants us to be passionate about his heart for the things he is passionate about. So if we go back to these books that I showed at the beginning, these Bear Grylls Challenge books. The positivity that's in them. If you've got young children or even if you haven't, I urge you to read them. They're really, really good. And the encouragement that's in them. Let's think about this for ourselves this morning. What is that challenge that we have that God needs to unpick within us? What is that uncomfortable truth that maybe I've never faced full-on or sought support for? who are those people who honestly I would find it very hard to see them become part of my church family because it would disrupt the way that I see Sunday mornings or the children's groups I go to or the prayer groups I go to. What do I value more than others coming to know Christ? A wise friend once told me years ago that you become like the five people you spend the most time with. I said at the beginning that all of us are on a journey to become more and more like Christ. I desperately want to become more and more like Jesus. So if that's true about those five people, then I need to be making sure that one of the top people, if not the top person I'm spending time with, is Jesus himself.